I think the Lord more or less preached the message, so I'm just coming in, colouring a few scriptures and let him keep doing what he's doing. Uh, he, he wants you free of shame in his presence. No shame at all. And uh, I think that song, The Good, Good Father, I mean, it's been around a few years, but I feel like we're just getting to grips with what it really means. Or maybe, maybe it's just me getting to grips with what it really means. And uh, I, I want to <coughs> just read a scripture. If you turn with me, John chapter 8, verse 1. Uh, there's, there'll be other scriptures, but we're going to kind of kick off from this point. Then I'm going to uh, tell you an abbreviated story. We might be done by then, I think. Um, I know it's a bit chilly. Feel free to sit closer to somebody. Put on more layers. Um, but let's trust that the, the warmth of the Holy Spirit is going to keep, keep warming us up. Um, so John 8, 1. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came against the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. <laughs> I mean, these guys are naughty, aren't they not? Uh, how they did this. Sounds like a trap to me, but let's move on. Um, placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Yeah, it doesn't. Not fair. I'm not going there either today, although we could, we'll move on. <laughs> There's so many things wrong with this law thing. So good Jesus came to fix it all. Um, uh, so, teacher, this woman's been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So, what do you say? Now, at this point, you've got to remember, Jesus is the Father incarnate. Everything about him and everything he says and everything he does, every way that he behaves, fully and accurately represents the nature of God. There isn't a different God playing out a different version that might suddenly pop out from behind Jesus and say, actually, delete this bit of scripture. It's not what I really meant. All right? There's not another version. This is God fully expressing his heart Right, coming up. Are you ready for this? <laughs> I said this to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Much speculation about what he did. Um, I'm not sure that's relevant for this morning. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to him, said to them, "Let him who has who's without sin among you." be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and did some more doodling on the ground. And when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to a woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. <laughs> well, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. 
There's some juice in that. Um, maybe ten years ago, when we were running, it was probably second year of our supernatural school, I was in worship. And in that season, I've been really like hungering after God. And I'd read this story about Smith Wigglesworth. And I don't have time to unpack the whole thing. But basically, the story tells about every prayer meeting with, with leaders... Smith Wigglesworth was in before he did like a, an outreach. Now, Smith Wigglesworth was a revivalist, healer, amazing guy who ministered mainly between the wars, okay, between World War I and World War II. Uh, and, and he, the stories of him are incredible, raising the dead. All right, so he was an awesome, awesome guy. And uh, many have called him the apostle of faith in that generation and beyond. And he, he, they would have prayer meetings before the outreach meeting. And They'd all pray, all the ministers that had invited him would all pray their best prayers and then he would wait and he would pray last. And as he started to pray, one by one, all the ministers would start to leave the room. And there was a journalist with him who was noting this down. And after this happened a couple of times, he's like, I'm going to stay in the room, I'm going to stay in the room. But he couldn't. And he wrote this, he said, "Something. there was an atmosphere of heaven that Wigglesworth lived in that few men could stand in. And I'm like, I want that. And a bit of me said, no, I don't want that. And a bit of me said, I want that. And a bit of me said, no, that's that's super scary. I mean, they all left the room for a reason, right? And I think by this point, I'd figured out the reason that I was afraid of it was because what I'd grown up with in my Christian mindset and teaching and Bible verses was that when you get that, what, what I assumed was happening is you get that exposed to the greatness and the holiness of God that it makes you feel scared, crap, suddenly all the things that have been hidden about you that maybe were so hidden you didn't know were wrong, all comes out and you're like, i got to leave the room, I can't cope with this shame. That's kind of the background, because there's this holy God, and here's me, yeah, and I mean, Jesus loves me and saved me and all the rest of it, but I've still got carrying junk, and some of it I don't even know, and suddenly in that intensity, maybe that's what Wigglesworth, he was such a holy man, he could cope in that intensity, but all those other pastors couldn't, and probably I wouldn't either, but oh boy, I do want to know what that atmosphere is like, it's making any sense to any of you. Um... (laughs) And then in this worship time, I'm like, God, I really want more of you. I'm not sure I do want more of you. I really want more of you. I'm not sure I want it like that. Kind of thing going on deep on the inside of me. And in this worship time, clear as anything, God said to me, Andy, what's going to mess you up in deeper encounters with me is my high opinion of you. What's going to mess you up in deeper encounters with me is my high opinion of you. And I'm like, that doesn't fit my theology. <laughs> but that I definitely was God. And I think I've spent at least the last 10 years trying to figure out if what he said to me was right or not. What's going to mess you up in deeper encounters with me is my high opinion of you, not my low opinion, not exposing you. And here, here in our story, we have I mean, this, 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 
The whole setup is weird and off and horrible, but she was caught in the act. You know, he's, he's obviously a sinner, right? And they bring her to Jesus, to God, the Father. And she is standing right in his presence. And what does he say? What does he do? He doesn't go, ha ha, that's what a sinner you are. You need to believe in me when I go to the cross and then you get cleansed from all your sin because people are sinful and you're sinful and you've proved it and you deserve every accusation and maybe I'll throw a little stone at you just to show. He doesn't do that. In fact, he says the opposite. He says, they didn't condemn you. I don't condemn you. But she's guilty. I still don't condemn you. You know what condemn means is basically to, to judge and find guilty. She is guilty, but he doesn't judge her guilty. Hello? This is God. Now, he doesn't condone continued sinful behavior, but what he doesn't do is get on his holy high horse and start telling her what for about how bad this is. He, he, he communicates acceptance to this woman. He doesn't, he doesn't, the judge doesn't execute judgment. <laughs> See, the Father loves us and he loves all the grubby bits as well. Remember the story, we've, done, we've preached this, I was going to say to death, but there's so much life in the parable, the parables in Luke 15, and particularly the one that we call the parable, the parable of the prodigal son, but you know the story. All of you will know the story of the, the prodigal. He's smelly, he's starving, he's raggedy, and he's coming back to the father. The father runs to him. And the father doesn't do what some Christian doctrine would tell you, doesn't clothe him in his robe of righteousness first. It doesn't make him look righteous in the righteousness of Jesus. No, he runs up to him and he hugs the father, again, the father hugs him in his smelly, broken, raggedy, starving, stinkiness. And he wraps his arms around him and he ugly kisses him for a little while. What's he doing? He's not pouring shame on him. I mean, he does call for 
better clothes, right? He calls for the robe, but he doesn't need better clothes to embrace the son. The father doesn't need better behavior to embrace the woman. He doesn't need us to have cleaned up our act in some space in order for us to experience the fullness of his embrace. He wants to pour through us and into us everything he has, even in the midst of our own imperfection. Because he's designed us to walk in his fullness while we get sorted on the route. There's a, there's a phrase in um, uh, early church father's phrase. It says, the unassumed is the unhealed. The problem with what many of us grew up with and what we were taught is, is this God who can't look at sin, which is a misquote from uh, Habakkuk 1, It's like, I don't want to see the yucky bit, I only want to see the shiny bit. Okay? There's a shiny bit in all of us, and there's probably in all of us, there's there's some... Anybody want to own up to being not completely perfect? Okay, some honest people in the room. You know, there's, there's some broken spot, there's some incompletion, there's some sin, and sometimes there's stuff we don't know. You with me? And like, if you get this, he can't look at sin. He's he's not going to look at that bit. He's only going to look at the shiny bit of Steve Perkins. So that means if we believe that, we come to church and show the shiny bit. And we don't come to church when we're feeling because God looks at shiny people. And you end up with this brokenness inside you where you think God loves the shiny part but he can't look at the dark parts. Hello? And, and inside of you like, whoo, I need to get that sorted out. One day I'll get it sorted out and I'm working on sorting it out. And then, and then, but I just want to keep reaching for the Lord who loves me. But you know what? He loves you, he loves you in your crap and he embraces your darkness. We saw last week that light doesn't shine at the darkness, it shines inside it. Jesus has already rocked up in every single part, every cell of your being, every single part of your emotions and spirit with his light. He's already there. Remember, the fact that you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. You can still be blindfolded or... Is this making sense? He doesn't just hug the nice bits. He doesn't just embrace the, the sweet, you know, the bits of you that smell nice. He's already loving you wholly and fully and beautifully. Oh God, I wish I had better words.
his presence in intensity isn't scary because there's nothing about you that makes him want to push you away or makes him want to run away. He's already seen, he already knows, and he already loves everything. So like that prophetic word that was coming out from Sam, he doesn't want us to be ashamed. There's no need to be ashamed. We are loved in all that we are. I'm not saying that that means he wants you to keep sinning. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Like with the woman, he said, don't, don't do it again. But he didn't, he didn't reject the person and he didn't judge or condemn the person. Now, there is someone who does and insight, I mean, if you read self-help stuff these days, there's a ton of stuff in one way or another about, you know, developing a healthy mindset and it's about being kind to yourself. Because what, apart from Jesus, what people have realized is that humans are really good at beating themselves up on the inside. Any, anybody know what I'm talking about? A few, a few, thanks. We do, don't we? We're like, oh, I should have done better at that. I should have been better at that. I should have, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Or, oh, life would have been a whole lot better if I hadn't have done that. I mean, it's going to be a lot better if I don't do that, but I can't stop doing it. And, 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 you know. Hello? Often we don't need any help to beat ourselves up. But then the church comes along and preaches kind of the sort of stuff that we used to preach, and kind of just beats us up a bit more, and then we go away. No wonder you don't want to come back. It's like, well, I felt bad before I went, and now I feel worse because I'm not do. You know, I wasn't doing this and I wasn't doing that. And now I found out I wasn't doing that, that, and that either. And that this, this, and this were wrong. Crap. God doesn't judge you. In Revelation, it tells us who the accuser is. What's the source of this? So our conscience gets programmed by different things, all right? So it's not 100% a reliable source of wrong or right because it gets programmed by life, experience, doctrine, the devil, all kinds of stuff inside you, all right? And it can be poking away at you. But who is the accuser of the brethren? The devil's the accuser of the brethren. God is not the accuser of the brethren. He's not your condemner. He's not your accuser. He's your dad. It's a different picture. Oh. Can can we pray? got time to pray. There's always time to pray. Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit. Just thank you for what you've been saying to us this morning already in worship. You're a good Father, perfect in all your ways. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would reveal to our hearts how free we are in your love, how accepted, 
and how non-dangerous you are, although you are still mighty, wonderful, holy, and everything else. That we can be confident before you. (laughs) He doesn't condemn you. doesn't accuse you. He loves you unconditionally, which means there are no conditions. Let's stop making them up. He loves you unconditionally. Don't make up conditions to get loved by God. Remember we saw last week, we're his love, love dream before the creation of the world. He dreamed about us and in love. How about that? The Father sent the Son to intervene in human insanity to heal all the effects of that craziness in his life, his death and resurrection. So there's no part of us he doesn't embrace. So when we come into worship, we can bring all of us, we can bring the ucky bits and the glorious bits and we can come with a whole heart fully present in the presence and know we're not going to get smitten by the Almighty. We can be fully present in the present. I, I believe, guys, it's almost impossible to not worship God when you understand how amazingly amazing He is. Regardless of circumstances, when you start to see who He really is, you just want to worship Him because you can bring all of you to Him. to the light, to the glory, to the, the joy of His presence, to, to His love. You can, you can just be relaxed about who you are and where you're at because He's not going to condemn you. Any of it. Well, you know, I haven't been in church a long time. I haven't thought good things. I haven't read my Bible. I haven't... I haven't I, maybe that's all true, but He loves you. Now, darkness damages. That's why God hates sin, because of what it does to his beautiful, perfect creation and his beautiful, wonderful children that he made. He hates it because it kills you. Sometimes on the installment plan, but ultimately it's, it's deadly to our life. And God, one of the things that he's doing in Jesus Christ as a good father is redeeming us from the death that darkness brings. Is healing us. The act, the act of the Christ event of Jesus coming in the flesh and dying and being raised from the dead is to heal the effects of the nonsense that has gone on in our life. And the unassumed is the unhealed. So why I'm saying that is, if there's a B 
bit of your experience in life that's ucky, broken, you know. And Jesus didn't take that into himself, embrace all the horror of it, and die with it, then there's a chance that it can't be healed. There's a bit of you that will be broken forever and ever, for all eternity, amen. Maybe always sick, maybe always hurting about that thing that happened in your life or that you did to someone or someone did to you, all right? If Jesus, in his humanity and godness, experienced everything we experience and embraced all the pain, all the horror, just, just think, he experienced betrayal of friends. He experienced, just when he needed it, his buddies cleared off. How many of you experienced that in life in some form or other, yeah? It's a real thing, isn't it? Just when I wanted everybody to be here, most of them are not here. Ouch! Jesus felt that. He felt it in his experience and he felt yours. He who knew no sin became sin that we might be... Right? He somehow, in the mystery of God, he experienced your pain so that he could embrace your pain so that he could kill your pain and raise it from the dead. There is nothing that any of us have encountered in life that he did not encounter, that he did not embrace, and that he is unaware of. And there's nothing that he didn't kill in his death. Any, anybody suffer from a bit of unbelief? I'll put my hands up. Man, I wish I believed more. I wish I believed more. But you know what? He, 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 he took my unbelief to death. Oh, you know, I get a bit... You're not going to put your hands up for this bit, but I get a bit depressed. I get a bit down. Nobody's going to own up to that, are they, today? It's just, but some people do, I've heard. You know what? He, he took that into himself and he, he embraced your downness and he took it to the grave. You see, what Jesus did in dying was kill death. I mean, this sounds like it's stupidity, but it's not. Anything that creates death in us, he killed by dying. Because he's a good dad. He sent his son to heal up everything that damaged us. And then his resurrection give us new life. What he died with, he raised. So, I can stand like completely naked, like we were hearing, metaphorically speaking, before the Lord. Is everything inside me that I'm feeling, that I'm aware of, I'm not aware of, the love I have for Him, the hesitations I have about Him, the completely there and encounter the fullness of his presence 
and be raised up and healed by that, not scared, intimidated, and make me run out of the room. And so can you. I'm praying that this is making some kind of sense. We can bring our all and be received, embraced and accepted and loved and not condemned and in that transaction not be ashamed and be healed because he rose. He suffered your suffering but he rose again your resurrection. There's nothing, abandonment, betrayal, brutality that he didn't experience and take to the grave, even death itself, so that we could be raised with him and healed up in our bodies, in our emotions, in our minds, and he embraces us whether we're healed or not. Can we stand Father, um, Father, we want to stand and present ourselves fully to you this morning, knowing that you love us and you embrace us and you do not reject us. I wonder, could you... Sometimes this can be a bit trite, but could, could you help me out and maybe help yourself out? If I pray something and then we pray it together, like we repeat it, and then we'll, we'll be done. Okay, so Heavenly Father, I believe that you are good. Heavenly Father, I believe that you are good. And there's nothing about me, good, bad, or indifferent, that you don't embrace. There's nothing about me, good, bad, or indifferent, that you don't embrace. Every broken spot in me, you have already died to heal. Every broken spot in me, you've already died to heal. And you've risen from the dead to give me life in place of death. You've risen from the dead to give me life in face of death. I reject every accusation from the enemy. I reject every accusation from the enemy. I reject every feeling of shame. I reject every feeling of regret in my life. I declare that I am not condemned by my Father. I am infinitely beautifully loved. I am infinitely beautifully loved forever. Amen. Amen.